Have you heard any good stories lately? Perhaps a fishing story or an adventure story or an experience with uh, grandchildren. Even school children get to do show and tell. Remember show and tell at school? Or witness an accident. The last couple of years I have witnessed a few accidents. And I go home and I write it up so that I have the story to tell of what happened in in this accident. This afternoon you'll have a chance as we are sitting around the barbecue, those kinds of things, to tell stories. And we have these all over in our society. Let me relate my experience. I want to tell my story, and it's constantly in the news. Victim impact statements, I found this interesting in the last 15 years, victim impact statements have outshone the actual crime. They've, they've become bigger. Now people have COVID stories to tell. Uh, some are disabled, some permanently disabled probably. And uh, we do um, immense good, give value when we listen to their stories. Because these stories give perspective, they give meaning, they give us dreams, they give us hopes, they teach us what to do with life's trials, with our hardships, and they can have more impact than just standing up here and saying, this is it. And when missionaries come, we love to hear their stories, right? When Herb and Crystal come up and share what they've been doing, we want to hear the stories, what they've been about. So... Today is a story. It is history in story. That's where we're going to go in Judges chapter 4. But before, we, before I read the passage, I want to introduce you to the characters, the people involved, because I think that will help us get an orientation of, of how, these, how to understand this. There's Deborah. Deborah is a prophetess, a female prophet. And prophets have a gift from God for hearing what God says, for understanding what God says and then accurately telling the truth. They see events in a different way. They see them as God sees them. They see challenges the way God sees these challenges. They see things that others don't see, and that makes them have a different perspective. They're weird. At least we think they're weird. They're strange. They can be uncouth. Sometimes they're seemingly impolite. They are not compelled to conform to our social norms because they have this mission. So, for example, we have another account from another prophet, Elisha, and a servant wake up one morning in the city they are in, and they look out, and they see all the way surrounded around the city, King Aram has surrounded the whole city with chariots. They are out to get Elisha. That's why they're there. And this the servant of Elisha goes nuts. He doesn't know what to do. He's beside himself with, with what's going on. And Elisha's being calm. And he prays that the servant's eyes might be opened. And God opens the servant's eyes and he sees that the whole hillside, the whole countryside, is full of chariots with fire. King Aram's army is nothing. That's the perspective of a prophet. So Deborah is a female prophet, but she is also a judge. She is a, one of the first judges of Israel. And have you ever noticed, I, I've wondered these things, sometimes I, I wonder things, and uh, that when some gets, gets a law degree, not always, but often, perhaps a doctorate in law, the, the initials are LLD. LLD. Why two L's? Well, I did some homework. In history, in the last couple hundred years, you actually had two law degrees. Not one. One was in the civic law, the law of the land, the governing law, the governmental law, and the other was in clerical law, 
the law of the Lord, practical theology. And before the Enlightenment really took over, you had an LLD that combined those two because they knew that lawyers and those who would be magistrates and those kinds of things needed to have not only the government law, people's law, but they needed God's law put together. That's what Deborah has. She has both. So she's a prophet and she's a judge. And all Israel has recognized that that's her role. And so they go to her to have cases adjudicated. You want to sue someone? You drag them before Deborah. There's a civil case. Someone kills somebody and you think you've caught the right one. You drag them before Deborah. And she will adjudicate. But this story isn't really about Deborah. She's a supporting character, an important supporting character, but it's not really about Deborah. And there's another fellow, Barak. Now, God summons the Israelite Barak for a task. His task is to defeat the Canaanites. Through Deborah, they summon this fellow. We don't know much about him. He could have some social standing. He maybe had no standing at all. But he's the guy that God wants to use to defeat the Canaanites. He leads the army into battle. Reluctantly, he makes Deborah come with him. But the story isn't about Barak. He's a supporting character as well. And the territory was ruled by a Canaanite king named Jabin. Canaanites worshipped a different god. The god of the air, of the stars, of the starry host, if you want to take it literally. They got life direction from the stars and what we know, now know are planets. These stars that would move at different paces through the, through the heavens. Get any local newspaper and you'll see that that religion is still around today. They looked to the stars, not the God of creation and the God of Israel. And Jabin was the king of the Canaanites. And Sisera commanded the army, a really big army, lots of chariots, iron chariots, state-of-the-art chariots. They had iron wheels. They had iron armor. They were a complete defense against these wimpy Israelites. Because what good is a sword against an iron chariot? What good is an arrow if the Canaanite can hide behind his iron chariot? You can't even put out nails to puncture the tires because they have iron wheels. They didn't have rubber back then. I'm just put that through in there. They were invincible. What are you going to do when you go up against an army like that? But the story really isn't about Barak or Jabin or Sisera. They're just supporting the leading role. And we have one more character. An unknown, unsuspecting character. A bit part, really. Remember Moses? Moses married Sarah. Sarah was the daughter of Jethro, who was a Kenite. He was from that tribe, from that group, ethnic group. Apparently Sarah had a brother, Hobab. And follow that genealogical line on down, and you find a fellow named Heber. And Heber moved away from his family, from his tribe, and immigrated right into the territory where this battle between Barak and Cicero was about to happen. And Hobab had a wife, Jael. J-A-E-L, Jael. She's an important figure in this story, but it isn't really about her. She's not the focus of the story either. See, the story, the account is about God. God moving, God initiating, God working, God designing, God working all the elements together to bring it about, to bring his will. So let me read chapter 4 from Judges. After Ehud died, 
the Israelites once again did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, a king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazar. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Herosheth Haggadim, because he had some He had 900 iron chariots and cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. They called to the Lord for help. Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapideth, was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites came to have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kadesh and Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord... The God of Israel commands you, go, take with you 10,000 men in Naphtali and Zebulun and lead the way to Mount Tamer, Tabor, and I will lure Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Very well, Deborah said. I will go with you, but because of the way you're going about this, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will hand Sisera over to a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh, where he summoned Zebulun and Naphtali. Ten thousand men followed him, and Deborah also went with him. Now Heber, the Canaanite, had left the other Canaanites, the descendants of Hobab, Moses' brother-in-law, and pitched his tent by the great tree in Zananim near Kadesh. When they told Sisera that Barak, son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, uh, Sisera, uh, Sisera gathered together his 900 iron chariots and all the men with him from Harasheth Haggayim to the Kishon River. Then Deborah said to Barak, Go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down to Mount Tabor, followed by 10,000 men. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army Uh, by the sword. And Sisera abandoned his chariot and fled on foot. But Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as Harasheth Haggayim. And all the troops of Sisera fell by the sword. Not a man was left. Sisera, however, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, because there were friendly relations between Jabin, king of Hazar, and the clan of Heber the Kenite. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come, my lord, come right in. Don't be afraid. So he entered her tent, and she put a covering over him. I'm thirsty, he said. Please give me some water. She opened a skin of milk, gave him a drink, and covered him up. Stand in the doorway of the tent, he told her. If someone comes by and asks you, is is anyone here, say no. But Jael, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through through his temple into the ground, and he died. Barak came by in pursuit of Sisera, and Jael went out to meet him. Come, she said, I will show you the man you're looking for. So he went in with her, and there lay Sisera, with a tent peg through his temple, dead. On that day, God subdued Jabin, the Canaanite king, before the Israelites, and the hand of the Israelites grew stronger and stronger against Jabin, the Canaanite king, until they destroyed him. God moved. God moved in a mighty and powerful way. This got me to thinking, how many chariots does it take to defeat God? 900 iron chariots. What would that be in human terms? The most powerful atomic bomb ever created was done by the Russians. It was detonated on October 30th, 1961. Tsar Bomba, they called it. When it blew up in northern Russia, the shock wave of that went around the earth three times. 
That's how big it was. The seismic shock, the earth shaking, also went around the earth three times from that bomb. I can't imagine how big and powerful that is to make that happen. Our little sun, the sun that makes shadows in our world, emits enough energy, uh, the energy of two billion czar bombs a second. That's 120 billion czar bombs a minute going off out of our sun. And God spoke the sun into being. He spoke the rest of the stars into being. Think God's pretty big and powerful? Who can stand up to God? How many chariots to defeat the people of God? Let's put it in modern terms. How many secular humanists does it take to defeat God? (laughs) God is the central player in this drama. This whole account, our life, is about God. God initiating, God acting, God completing, God using the most insignificant people, this woman that's only accounted for by a name, a single name, because she's the wife of somebody who happened to move into that area, and she defeats and kills the commander of the army. If you leave here today saying God is indeed awesome, I have done my job here in the pulpit. God is amazing. God is awesome. I also wondered, has God ever moved in your life, intervened on your your behalf, used you as a player, as a person, an agent, a servant in his working out his will in someone's life, perhaps your own, someone else's? Has he ever given you that privilege? But too often, we tell our story as if it's all about me and not God's story, as if it's God moving. You ever notice that? God moves. But sometimes we fail to acknowledge or recognize that it's God doing the moving. And he, in his providence, invites us to be part of his story. Maybe you've been summoned to a task. How did you respond to that? Think back. If God summons you today to a task, how would you respond? There's another way to tell the story. I just, I just love music. You know that, songs. Chapter 5 is a ballad that's set to music in the original, but it's not set to music in our day. And we have ballads all over in our society. A few weeks ago, Jabin talked about a boy named Sue, a fictitious character there. But we have real ballads. And I'll just name a couple. Uh, Gordon Lightfoot, The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Yep. Just about anything by Tom Tom Connors is a ballad. One that uh, always has struck me, and my kids don't like this, me remembering all these songs, but Arlo Guthrie. Do you know Arlo Guthrie? Comes out of the 60s. And he wrote a a little, uh, well, not so little, ballad called Alice's Restaurant. Alice's Restaurant Massacre is the real name of it. It was in the 60s uh, when there was all this pop music going on and those kinds of things. It was the longest song. It probably still is the longest song ever put on the radio. It was 17 minutes, 34 seconds long. And so what they would do is they would play some of it and then stop the song and play their commercial break. And then they'd go back to the song to finish it. 
thanks to Watergate and things that happened there, Arlo re-released the song because that 17 minutes, 34 seconds is the exact amount of time that the tape was wiped out in Watergate. And so he makes kind of a joke about that because ballads have satire in them. They was really playing his song during that time and they wiped out his playing his song during Watergate. So now that he added some more verses, so it's now just over 24 minutes long. One ballad. But the most moving secular account of ballad that I have come across, John McCutcheon wrote it. It's called Christmas in the Trenches. It's a World War I account. And if you look it up, if you want to find it in, on YouTube, it's there. I would suggest the YouTube account where he is presenting at the War Museum, at a war museum. And in introduction to that song, he relates an experience in Denmark of singing that song, an experience in 1988 of, in Denmark of singing that song. And I've watched it several times and I still cry. That's the power of ballads. And it's not just secular music that has ballads. Our music is full of them too. Horatio Spafford, you don't know the name, the author, but you know, when peace like a river attendeth my way, the story of his life and losing his family in a shipwreck. Or John Newton, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound has Saved a Wretch. It's a ballad of his life, of what God has done in his life. How about one more? Fanny Crosby, Redeemed How I Love to Proclaim It, Redeemed by the Blood of the Lamb. She had been struggling with how to relate to God, and she was released from that struggle and given an insight into God, and she writes this hymn that we sing. So let's hear a ballad, shall we? It's translated Hebrew poetry, so it doesn't have meter and rhyme like we expect in in English, but it's poetry nonetheless. And yes, it has satire in it. Just expect that, okay? Just so you don't miss it. Chapter 5. On that day, Deborah and Barak sang, uh, son of Abimelech, sang this song. When the princes in Israel take the lead, when the people willingly offer themselves, praise the Lord. Hear this, you kings. Listen, you rulers. I will sing to the Lord. I will sing. I will make music to the Lord, the God of Israel. O Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the land of Edom, the earth shook, the heavens poured, the the clouds poured down water, the mountains quaked before the Lord, the one of Sinai, before the Lord, the God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the roads were abandoned. Travelers took to winding paths. Life, village life in Israel ceased until I, Deborah, arose, arose a mother to Israel. When they chose new gods, war came to the city gates. Not a shield or spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. My heart is with Israel's princes, with the willing volunteers among the people. Praise the Lord. You who ride on white donkeys sitting on your saddle blankets and you who walk along the road, consider the voice of the singers at the watering wells. The watering places. They recite the righteous acts of the Lord, the righteous acts of warriors in Israel. Then the people of the Lord went down to the city gates. Wake up, wake up, Deborah, wake up, wake up, break out in song. Arise, O Barak, take captive your captives, O son of Abinoam. Then the men who were left came down to the nobles. The people of the Lord came with the might, came with the mighty, came with some from came, some came from Ephraim, whose roots were in Amalek. Benjamin was with the people who followed you. From Machir, captains came down. From Zebulun, those who bear a commander's staff. The princes of Issachar were with Deborah. Yes, Issachar was with Deborah, rushing after him into the valley. Okay, pay attention here. In the districts of Reuben, 
There was much searching of heart. Why did you stay among the campfires to hear the whistling for the flocks? In the districts of Reuben, there was much searching of heart. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan, and Dan, why did he go linger by the ships, and Asher remained on the coast and stayed in his coves? The people of Zebulun risked their very lives, so did Naphtali on the heights of the field. Kings came, they fought, the kings of Canaan fought at Tanakh by the waters of Megiddo, but they carried off no silver, no plunder. From the heavens, the stars fought, from their courses, they fought against Sisera. The river Kishon swept them away, the age-old river, the river Kishon. March on, my soul, be strong. Then thundered the horse's hooves, galloping, galloping to his mighty steeds. Curse Meroz, said the angel of the Lord. Curse his people bitterly, because they did not come to help the Lord, to help the Lord against the mighty. Most blessed of women be Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. Most blessed of tent-dwelling women, he asked for water, and she gave him milk. In a bowl fit for nobles, she brought him curdled milk. Her hand reached for the tent peg, her right hand for the workman's hammer. She struck Sisera, she crushed his head, she shattered and pierced his temple. At her her feet he sank, he fell, there he lay. At her feet he sank, he fell. Where he sank, there he fell, dead. Through the widow peered Sisera's mother, Behind the lattice she cried out, Why is the chariot taking so long in coming? Why is the clatter of chariots delayed? And the wisest of her ladies answered to her, Indeed, uh, she keeps saying to herself, Are they not finding and dividing the spoils? A girl or two for each man? Colorful garments as plunder for Sisera? Colorful garments embroidered, highly embroidered, garments for my neck, as all this as plunder? So may all your enemies perish, O Lord. May they who love you be like the sun when it rises in its strength. And the land had peace for 40 years. So how do you defeat an army of chariots when you don't have chariots? It's a tough one. You stay up in the hill country and wait for them to come to you. You know, chariots don't do us so well up in the hill country. Or in God's way, do you go down into the plain and face them head on in the rain? Did you get that in the ballad? Face them head on in the rain. Rain, torrents of rain. You know what happens if you have dirt and lots and lots of water and then heavy iron-wheeled chariots? We lived in Manitoba for a while. We know what Red River Gumble was like. You don't even walk in it, let alone pull a chariot through it. God sent rain, torrents of rain. Even it says... Did you catch that? The starry host sent rain, cried down on them. I wonder if the angels laughed at the pride of the Canaanites. And I wonder if the angels laugh at us when we try to do things in our own way and refuse to go God's way. When the prophet speaks and we don't listen, perhaps they cry over us. I know people who have left the faith because they're too smart for God. They figured it out. They know better. Still, the angels cry. They weep at utter foolishness and stupidity to go against the awesome, powerful, almighty God. God is amazing. So what's our take-home for today? I put a piece of paper on your chair, and you have a choice of what to do with that piece of paper. Some of you have already crumpled it. Some of you just probably sat on it, but uh, you, you have a choice what to do with it. Maybe you could use that 
piece of paper to record a time when God moved in your life. And you were close enough to the action, maybe you were in the action or you were an observer to the action, when, when you could put it, put it on there. An event happened and God moved so you could record it. Perhaps you can use that piece of paper, and I know some of you are taking notes as I'm saying this, you could use that piece of paper to recognize that you are not the central character even in your own story. God is. And perhaps that calls for repentance on our part, thinking it's all about me when it isn't. It's really about God. So we could record or we could repent. Or if you were a prophet, maybe you could use it to relate what God is saying. Just beware that false prophets are supposed to be stoned. But perhaps God is speaking to you to take some action. So now we have record, repent, or relate. Perhaps the fourth one could be a request. This isn't really from the passage, but it came up on my list here. We could use that paper to request of God that he takes action and moves. The people of of Israel had been suppressed and they cried out to God. Save us. They turned to God, the God of heaven, the God of creation, the one who redeems and saves and said, will you come and help us, please? Request of him. Request on behalf of yourselves. Request on behalf of your family. Request on behalf of this congregation upon the church in Western, the Western world. That's the request. Or you can take your piece of paper and fold it up into a paper airplane and throw it away. You can refuse. That's your choice. So what do we learn? Three things. God is amazingly powerful. God is awesome beyond the word awesome. We use the word awesome pretty tritely these days. But when God reveals himself, our response is just to fall down on our knees and go, wow, that is amazing. In wonderment, before the God of heavens and earth, the one who gives us life, the one who redeems, the one who sets us free. So we can learn that. We can also learn that God uses bit players in bringing about what he wants. He works in and through his people to bring about what he wants. A lady who is a wife in a nomad's tent. God put in the right place at the right time and used to bring about a credible victory for which the people of Israel wrote a song and sang it at the wells when they gathered about how awesome God is. We can either get on board or we can resist and he'll find another way. And thirdly, what we can learn, it's a question for you, it's a question for me. What is the ballad that we sing? As we go through life, we might not sing it. I sing a lot. But we might not sing it. But what is the story you tell? What is the story your life tells? As we're going about relating to people how things happen, what is the story we're telling? Are we saying God is amazing? God is to be trusted and he alone is worthy? Or are we saying something else? So, you have a piece of paper. You can choose what to do with it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have related to us in your word, scripture today, 
an account that happened when you moved using some people that we wouldn't even know about if they weren't recorded in this passage. And you brought about your will. Lord, we thank you. And Lord, encourage us to be players also in your, in your drama, in your will. As you call us, as you gift us, as you empower us, Lord, may you find us faithful. May our lives inspire, as we just sang, may our lives inspire others to follow you. May the song we sing, the stories we tell, the life we live, may it point to the awesomeness of you, the holiness of you. May our lives be worshipful of you. Lord, thank you for inviting us and using us in your story, in your will. Amen.